0: Once more to the Christmas story found in Luke chapter 2. As you're turning there today for our message found again in Luke, again the second chapter. Last week I found some time to do some research. And the research I conducted because I really began to be curious I mean, how often does Christmas fall on the Sunday? And I began to do some research and I found that in this particular century, Christmas occurred on a Sunday. In 2005, 2011, 2016, and of course, obviously today. And the next time it happens will be in year 2033. Eleven years today, it will happen again. And I got thinking about that. And I'm thinking that to me just doesn't seem right. I mean, I, in my mind, I start to count there's seven days in a week, right? So I'm thinking, well, maybe every seven years it would seem that there would be A Christmas on a Sunday. I'm thinking it would occur in every year. I mean every seven years, but it it obviously doesn't. So my dilemma, I had to dig a little deeper and begin to find out why this would be the case. And here's some things that I found. Clarence Haynes from Crosswalk finds some insight. He says, You might think, as we all, as I was thinking, Christmas falls on a Sunday once every seven years, but that is not how it works. When you do the math, it does average out to once every seven years, but it does not happen precisely every seven years. Christmas falling on a Sunday follows a cycle, takes 28 years to complete. Are you with me? How many years to complete? You would think it occurs every seven years, but it doesn't. On average, it does. He also saw this. Here's how this works within the cycle Christmas will fall on a Sunday in 11 years then six years, then five years, and then six years. Since we entered the 21st century, as I mentioned earlier, Christmas has fallen on a Sunday in 2005, 2011, 2016, and again now this year, 2022. This year represents the end of the cycle. So after this year, the next time Christmas will be on a Sunday is 2033, then 2039, 2044, 2044. And 2050. And this 11 6 5 6 cycle will then repeat itself once again. I'm reading that and I'm telling you the same thing. I've read this many different times. And I'm like, what? And I'm still confused about it. So I'm thinking, I, I need like a math major, which we happen to have one. And we have one on the road. Josh, what are you looking at? You're the math major in here. So I'm thinking, Someone with a math background, like you or Kayla, and Kayla's gone, she's on the road, needs to maybe explain this, because I can't, I can't get it. And I think it maybe has something to do with leap year. So I need you to study upon it. You can explain it. Go ahead. But why 11656? That's my dilemma. So our math major has some answers, but not all the answers. Yeah. So we're still in this dilemma. So it's still a little bit confusing. I appreciate the insight, though. I know you tried your best. All right. So we're still in a little bit of dilemma. We're still confused. I mean, so why we're confused then and, and why we enjoy this Christmas happening on a Sunday and while can be confused about why it don't happen again for 11 more years, and it's in that cycle, I recognize this that there's one thing that I and all of us are not confused upon. That while Christmas today is upon Sunday and ain't going to be again until 2033, today we are not confused. Today we certainly know that we gather today to celebrate the greatest gift ever given to mankind it is the birth of Jesus, our Savior, the Messiah. It came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And there simply is no better gift than Jesus. It's the gift that all of us need to receive. It is the most special, precious gift. And we're blessed to receive such a precious gift from our loving Father. I mean, it truly is the gift of all gifts. It is sent from above, as every precious perfect gift is, as it talks about in James 1:17. As we also reviewed in 2 Corinthians 9:15. It's a gift too wonderful for words, inexpressible, indescribable, according to what translation we'll look at, is truly a wonderful gift we've been given by the Father. We have been reflecting upon this perfect, inexpressible, indescribable, wonderful gift for the entire month. This is our fourth message pertaining to Christmas. We reviewed the Christmas story in Luke several different times throughout this month, and we do so once again today we even did it yesterday during the Christmas Eve service. Perhaps this wonderful story you can never grow weary of and never get tired of hearing about it. But today, as we have one more chance to look in Luke chapter 2, we're going to slightly change it up a bit. We're going to ask ourselves today, why? Why did God choose the shepherds to reveal the special gift that was born in Bethlehem, this wonderful special child? Or what is the reasoning that the shepherds were the first to hear the good news about the special birth that changed the entire world? That's part of what we'll discuss today and receive in our message. But stand with me today as we do so once more to simply honor the reading. Again, we're in Luke chapter 2. We've been reading it for several weeks. And here we have one more time to read the text pertaining to the birth of Jesus Christ. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she, she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with a great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, churches of all these things, pardoned them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Father, we do thank you again for how we can gather here today to celebrate the birth of our Savior. We've read this Christmas story, Lord, throughout these last several weeks, many different times. And I pray today, Lord, that we look upon it one more time, that you begin to speak to us, Lord, and help us maybe even understand the text better than we do now, if that is possible. But let us truly appreciate this wonderful, magical, precious gift to been given to us. Today, Lord, let us simply open our hearts. If we've never received the gift of Jesus, let us simply open our hearts today to receive this wonderful gift that you've given to this world. So let's be thankful for what we shall learn, and what we shall apply, and for the gift of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're like me, you've read this story or heard this story so many times, you may have got either all of it or part of it memorized. I mean, we know, we've heard this story countless times. It goes back to many, even years ago. And we gathered upon many different times upon Christmas, but seem to always turn to Luke chapter 2 to review the wonderful story of Christmas. And we hear it, and we, got, and we don't have all of it memorized. We may have a portion of it. I mean, we know why Joseph went to Bethlehem, an 80-mile journey from their home in Nazareth, simply because of the decree sent out by Caesar Augustus that people should be registered or, or counted for his greedy tax purposes. Also, we know that Joseph took with him his wife, Mary, the virgin chosen by God to usher in the Savior to this world. And as she went, she was apparently near full term of her pregnancy. And we also know that when they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph, it came in time for Mary to give birth. There was no room for Joseph and Mary to stay, either because of all the people who were there during registration because of the counting, or... Simply because they were mere peasants, there's no vacancy. So upon birth, Mary wrapped the baby, the baby Jesus, into swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. We know all about the story, right? Don't you know this about the story? we heard it many different times before. But have you ever wondered why a manger? I mean, can you imagine the king of all kings, the king Jesus, being actually placed in a manger? Who takes their baby? Josh and Jesse are about to have Elijah. You going to place him in a manger? Not counting on it. No one takes a baby and places him in a manger. So you ever wonder why a manger or what may have looked like? I mean, a modern-day tradition that the manger, I mean, when you think about it, it's merely a feeding trough for animals, like cows and sheep and so forth. I mean, it's the familiar depiction we have we have the nativity or a scenic Bethlehem in mind, we think about that just being a feeding trough. But is that correct? Was our Lord truly laid in a manger known as a feeding trough? A couple of notable commentaries add some insight. First is Lewis Foster. He said, what is most striking of all is that when when Jesus was born, they laid him in a manger. The manger has come to be so identified with the crib for the baby, Jesus, that we tend to forget that a manger is simply the feeding trough for the animals. So it is that. It is it, just simply then the feeding trough. But then, as tradition has it, was it truly placed in the stable? So I refer to R. T. France to elaborate. He says Luke's mention of a manger has led most Western readers to assume that Jesus was born in the stable. And the idea had become fixed on our Christmas tradition, even though Luke does not speak of a stable. Rather, an ordinary Palestinian village home, was of one of one-room house in which the animals were kept on the lower level, not in the stable, but the manger set along the side of the family's living area. The manger was therefore part of an ordinary living room. Jesus was placed in a manger because of a typical home in Palestine, would have included space for animals. The family living space, often a single room, was either adjacent to or above an area where the animals were housed in order to secure them for the night and provide warmth in winter. Now, if you're like me, it's hard to picture that because I don't have a manger. I don't have the animals next to myself in the other I mean, I have Sheila, okay? But I don't really have the so-called animals until my children come over in the living room next to me. So I'm trying to picture all this, and I'm thinking, well, there was a, in the commentary there was a picture, so I put one in here for you. And it's hard to de- see all this, but you see a woman there in the living room, and you see then the sheep in the manger next to the living area. So perhaps then, I mean, it's an artist rendering of maybe what it was like. But then it gives us some insight into maybe what was happening upon that particular day when they went to Bethlehem to be counted. And then Mary gave birth. And it may be then how our Lord was laid in the manger for that particular portion of the day. Now, so it adds some insight of the way our king of kings came into the world. But then let us, as we think about that, then go back to the story, back to the questions we have at hand. I mean, we mentioned that Caesar Augustus issued a decree for registration. Resulted in Joseph and Mary going to Bethlehem. And while there, Mary starts having contractions. She gives birth to a child, a male child. They name him Jesus. The town is full of visitors. There's other people there didn't registration. They got no place to stay. The baby needs shelter and a place to rest. And they lay him in the manger. And we have a little idea about what that may have looked like. But when all of that is done, who do the angels go find and tell? The shepherd. Go back to verses 8 through 20. Notice in verse 8, as you go back to the text, it tells us that the shepherds were nearby. They were in the same region out in the field. Notice also in verse 9, the story reminds us and tells us they were filled with great fear. In verse 10, it said the the angels tell them, fear not, behold, I'm going to bring you good news. The first delivery of the good news. And it specifically tells them, in verse 11, identified the good news as Christ the Lord. In verse 12, they're told what to look for. A baby lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And in verse 15, as you go further in the text, the angels went away to heaven, and shepherds then said to one another, I mean, they're looking at each other, they just heard an angel tell them specifically about a baby to be born being Christ. And they said, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. And in verse 16, they went with haste. I mean, they didn't grudgingly go to see the newborn baby. They went immediately to go see the newborn child. I mean, that's the essence of the text in verses 8 through 20. But then the underlying question, again, we go back to, why? Why did the shepherds become the first to know To hear the good news about the newborn king. I mean, when you think about it, it's a legitimate question. I mean, think about the time that you had your children. When you had your first or second or third or fourth. I mean, it don't matter what number of children you have. You have great anticipation and tremendous excitement when that child is born. So who was the first that you told If any family's not there, you probably called them and told them about the birth of your child. You know, when I was younger, when I had children, we didn't have the gender reveal like we do now. I mean, we had that today for Jesse and Josh. We know it's going to be a baby boy named Elijah. But we didn't have those kind of things when I was younger. So whenever we had our children, we didn't even have cell phones. We had to somehow let people know we just had a baby boy or baby girl. And we would shout it out. But I didn't go find a shepherd. I mean, I told my mom or my dad or my brother or my sister. Or I told my co-workers. I told my friends. But who tells a the shepherd? These angels, that's who. Angels told the shepherd as commissioned by God. And remember, this is no ordinary child being delivered. I mean, when we think about our children being delivered, we'll go and tell everybody we possibly can. Now the angel told the shepherd about the birth. And they specifically told them who it was. In verse 10-11, he says, I will bring you good news of great joy for all the people until you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior tells them it's the Savior. Christ the Lord. So again the question, why did the shepherds then become the first to know about the newborn king? Why shepherds? I mean, what is so special about the shepherds? We know what they do. I mean, they're keeper of the sheep, right? I mean, why not tell the priest of that day? Weren't they looking for and expecting the Messiah? I mean, wouldn't that have made some sense to tell the priest? Why the shepherds? Let's begin to unfold and maybe ask and answer why the shepherds. And first then we must recognize what, who is a shepherd, And not It's not hard to figure out what a shepherd is. I mean, we're all educated people. We know a shepherd is essentially one who's over keeping the sheep and the flock. But again, why the shepherd, were they regarded as special in some way? Were they royalty, perhaps? Is that why God chose them? The answer to that is no, not at all. The shepherds aren't even close. To anyone special, let alone royalty. Craig Evans states in first century Palestine shepherds did not have the reputation for being overly circumspect with regard to the property of others. They were often held in contempt and considered as nothing more than roving vagabonds and thieves. Well, that's a little disturbing to me because now I'm I'm processing that thinking, did God really choose to reveal our Savior, the Messiah, to a group of vagabonds, to a group of thieves? So I look for another comment, and I find Kit Hughes who says, shepherds were despised by the good, respectable people that day. Which means then that all of us good people might despise those shepherds that day. So according to the Mishnah, shepherds were under a ban. They were regarded as thieves. There it is again the only people lower than shepherds at that particular time in Jewish history were lepers. In short, the shepherds were outcasts. Nobodies. Often rejected from the temple because their particular work made them ceremonial unclean. So then, yes, God did reveal the good news about the Savior to despise a group of nobodies. I mean, the lower class of society. these outcasts. But again, why? Why did they choose them? I mean, we now know how they're viewed, how people see them, and if we were there, it might have been any different for us to think about that with the shepherds. But why again still the shepherds? Well, i turn to Warren Worsby now who might give us a little insight. He said by visiting the shepherds, The angel revealed the grace of God toward mankind. It was fitting that the good news about God's shepherd and lamb be given first to the humble shepherds. Shepherds are not easily fooled. They are practical men of the world and have little to do with fantasy. If they said that they saw angels and went and found a Messiah, then you could believe them. God selected hardworking men to be the first witnesses. That his son had come into the world, God does not call the rich and mighty; He calls the poor and lowly. Well, that's helpful. I mean, Worsby offers some words here that helps us maybe understand why God chose these shepherds, and and again, they were viewed as outcasts and nobodies, ceremonial unclean, couldn't even go into the temple. But I look for more people to agree, not just one scholar. So I look for Kent Hughes come back to him, and they seem to concur. He said, the message came to shepherds first and not to the high and mighty. Reminds us that God comes to the needy, the poor in spirit. God comes only to those who sense their need. He does not come to the self-sufficient. The gospel is for those who know they need Jesus. Well, according to these comments then from these two particular scholars, it's like God in his wisdom chose the shepherds because he knew they were reliable they were conscientious they were trustworthy men that would look upon and see the newborn child and hear what the angels proclaim to them and would just immediately go and tell people you go back to the text look at verse 17 we see it so when they saw it when the shepherds came and saw it they heard the angel they seen it for themselves when they saw it what did they do they keep it to themselves no They've made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. They went and told others about what they had seen and what they had heard. Now let's call a time out there for a minute and ask ourselves this: Would we have done that? If we had been there, would we go and tell others we have seen this newborn child that would save the world? I mean, if we were in the field, if we were somehow keepers of the flock, would we even left the flock to go look upon this newborn child that the angel had told us about? I mean, the king? Or even if we had been somehow in the town, when the shepherds left, when they heard, when they saw, when they went to Bethlehem and they told others, would we have, if we were there among those to be registered, would we have even believed what the shepherds were telling us? John Corson in his commentary says, once you see Emmanuel, God with us, listen, once you see God with us, Emmanuel, wrapped in swaddling clothes as the one who came to die for you, you can't help but do what the shepherds did. You can't help but spread the word. I mean, I like that it because it, it, it kind of includes us in that like if we were there, if we heard the angels and we heard all the proclamation and went and seen it's like it, it's so, it's so, it's so amazing, so tremendous, so that we would have immediately had a life changing moment and and told other people. So if I could just take what everything's been said and maybe begin to rephrase the question and think about the shepherds and ask them and and maybe ask just a little differently. Let's just ask this question then. What does Christmas mean to you? Do we have that excitement? Do we really understand what Christmas is all about? Because the world seems to be confused and we're living in this world. But Christmas should make all the difference in all of our lives. We've been repeating this entire month that Jesus is the best gift given to this world. We don't need anything else. All we need is Jesus. It is the time that God looked down upon the creation and decided that he would dwell among us, Emmanuel. It is the event that changed the world. And the world has never been the same since that first Christmas morning when the shepherds received the good news and went and told other people. God, in his wisdom, knew he could count and rely on the shepherds to tell others what they had seen and what they had heard. Christmas is the event, the birth of our Savior, the birth of Messiah that changed the entire world. And we begin to process that, we have to ask ourselves, especially on this day, when Christmas occurs on the Sunday morning church, we have to ask ourselves has it changed you? Has it changed any part of your life? Yesterday morning, I was doing my daily devotion reading. And I get one also online through my email from Crossway. And the one that was titled Yesterday, I began to review and read, written by Francis Schaefer. Actually calls seeing Jesus the way the shepherds did. Now, within the devotion, Schaefer points out, like we had this morning, that the shepherds were simply men, you know, taking care of the flock. But he also talks about how they're nobodies, outcasts, ceremonial, unclean, those kind of things, like we already mentioned here today. But he also says God chose them because Christmas made a difference in their lives. Schaefer writes this. He said, At Christmas time, we may set up our Christmas trees and toy trains. We may even walk along singing carols, or we may preach a sermon, but these bits and pieces are barren if we are thinking only of them, or even thinking only of being in heaven, and are not stopped to ask ourselves, What difference does it make in my life now? Maybe we need to be asking ourselves. What difference does the birth of Jesus Christ make in our life now? Schaefer refers to the shepherds looking upon the scene in Bethlehem, the manger, swaddling clothes, and all that, as we know the story. And he states further, Having this overwhelming experience in the midst of their normal environment, referring to the shepherds, and having believed in the Savior, can we imagine one of the shepherds remarking, What's very nice is I've seen an angel. And it's nice I have seen the Christ, the Messiah, that you've been waiting for for so long. It's nice I believed in him, unlike some people in Bethlehem. And that I'm even going to be in heaven. But really, in practice, it's not going to make any difference in my life. He says, if the shepherds saying that, he said, that is inconceivable to think for a moment the shepherds would say that. Again, the question is, what difference does Christ make in your life? Has the birth of the special child, the Savior, the Messiah, the King of all kings, has it made a difference to you? Has it changed you and your life? Because it should. It should make a tremendous change and tremendous impact. The birth we celebrate today is no ordinary birth. It is the gift of a son, the Son of God, given to you and to me and to all of mankind, to the entire world that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. It is a gift that changed the entire landscape of the world. And it should be a gift that you receive that should have made a profound impact and change in your life. You should not be, we should not, any of us be, living any life we did before. When we receive Jesus Christ in full, it should make such a change in our life as evident to everybody around us. So much so that people who used to be with you, when you truly have Jesus, may not even want to be with you any longer because you love Jesus that much and not afraid to share it. Has it made a change in your life? The birth of a Savior? Has it made a profound impact truly? And as we prepare to close, I mean, maybe the bottom line is this. As we look around, all of us know we only have a limited time on earth. And we also recognize then that as we prepare to leave this earth, we're going to leave behind a legacy. And we don't often think about that, but truly we do. We're going to leave behind a legacy. But, But maybe we need to think about then with the legacy behind, what will it be? And we... Do not let your legacy be left really in gold or silver or any monetary fortune. But rather let your legacy be that change that occurred in your life when you truly understood Christmas. Even as the shepherds did, when you you had the remarkable change that occurred in your life, let that be the legacy that you leave behind. Tell others. Tell others about the joy that you have in your life when you receive Jesus Christ. That is the greatest message you'll give someone outside the fact that they need to receive Jesus themselves. What did the shepherds tell others? He says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. It made a change in their life. God knew that they would, he could rely on them to tell others about the change and about the newborn son. Accept Jesus Christ in full. Let him penetrate your heart, let him change your entire life. It's a blessing, it is a gift receive that gift. Father. Or what an impact the Christ has made upon my life, Lord. What an impact I hope, Lord, He's made on all of the lives of everybody in here this morning, maybe even those listening later. Let us be thankful today, Lord, for simply one thing of that most precious special gift given to mankind, of which we come today simply to celebrate and to praise and honor and to thank. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that gift. I pray today, Lord, that everybody in here will receive that gift. If they have not received that gift, Lord, I pray that would do so today. There's no better day than the current day to receive the gift. And maybe especially on Christmas. Thank you, Lord, for all that you give us. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.